0: Man, You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. It's kind of a cool day around here with the chili cook-off coming up and the king and queen in our midst and all this good stuff going on here that we have happening today. We begin a new sermon series today where we're going to be working through the book of Daniel, a sermon series called Courageous. So let me start off with this question. What do the following names have in common? Anna from Frozen, the Karate Kid, Nemo the Clownfish, Joshua, Esther, Marcus Luttrell, and Chris Kyle. What do those names have in common? Well, some of them are fictional, some are real, but in each of their stories, they had to demonstrate Great courage. Courage is one of those character qualities that most of us want, but few of us have. So, how about you, when it comes to courage in your life? Are you a lion or are you a mouse? I'm waiting for a squeak. One of the most courageous men in all the Bible is this guy by the name of Daniel. Now, whenever I say Daniel, What story do you automatically think of? Daniel and the? That's right. But there's a lot more to the story of Daniel than just the lion's den. So for a few weeks here, we're going to look at this guy Daniel and see his story there in Scripture. And so fittingly, we begin in chapter 1 and verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him along with some of the vessels from the house of God. And Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now the year is 605 B.C. Daniel should be somewhere around a sophomore in high school at King Jehoiakim High. He is consumed at this point in life, probably, with getting his chariot license. He's looking for a date for homecoming. He's trying to pass trigonometry. He's basically living the life of a normal teenager there in Judah. However, the world is changing. The world's changing at a rapid pace. Gone are the glory years of Israel, Whenever they were a superpower under Kings David and King Solomon, now their power is diminishing. Over in the east, on the same soil where Isis is now raining down terror, there was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, and he began growing a powerful empire called the Babylonian Empire. And this empire began spreading out, throughout the region. There had been a prophet, a prophet by the name of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah had warned the nation Israel that a day was coming when the Babylonians will come and they will conquer you. But most people didn't want to hear it. When Jeremiah shared his prophecy, they simply hid him from their Facebook feed. They considered him to be a crazy man. But then the day came. 605 bc the babylonians come there to southern israel what is called judah and they conquer the city of jerusalem and so here's this teenager much like you guys living life enjoying life going through the adventures of being a teenager and then his world comes crushing down the babylonians take the best and brightest of Judah, and they take them back to Babylon. The story continues in verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction, in all wisdom, knowledge, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. And to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. And the king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. And they were to be trained for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to serve in the king's court. Now among them from the descendants of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So the chief official gave them other names. He gave Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. So King Nebuchadnezzar's plan was to take the best and the brightest, the kids that had a lot of potential. And in particular, he went after the kids that were from the royal families or from the families of nobility. And what he was going to do take them back to Babylon, and put them through a three-year program of indoctrination, almost a brainwashing program. He was going to familiarize them with the Babylonian way. Now, politically, this was very expedient because now he had some hostages. He had the children of the nobility from Judah which was going to keep uprisings from occurring back in Judah because if you come against King Nebuchadnezzar, I'll kill your child. Well, that'll stop a lot of us from doing things that we might do otherwise if we know that our children are in danger. But he also was going to train these kids so that they could be political liaisons between Babylon and Judah. If you have a big empire, it's very difficult to manage. So you take the best and the brightest, you teach them your ways, they become your chief mouthpieces, and then you send them back to be voices within the administration. So here's Daniel. He lost everything he lost his family, he lost his home, he lost his future. All the plans that he had gone. Even his very name was gone. Instead of being called Daniel, now he's Belteshazzar. Now the only thing that Daniel had left was he had three good friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he also had an unwavering faith in his God. Well, he actually had one more thing. Daniel also had an easy way out. All he had to do was go through three years of Babylonian schooling, just do what he was told to do. All he had to do was leave behind his former life, and now he could have a great new life as a leader in the empire. All he had to do was leave behind his faith in God, and he could have everything he could ever desire. Money was in his future, power was in his future, accomplishment in his future. All he had to do was leave behind everything that he had been taught up to this point and follow the Babylonians, and his future could be unbelievably bright. But in verse 8, there's a key to the entire story of Daniel. Daniel determines in his heart that he will not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drinks. Now, you say to yourself, what's the big deal about eating and drinking the king's food? Well, this was going to go against everything Daniel had been taught about, about God up to this point, the dietary laws that he'd been taught to follow. But beyond that, there's some, there's some richness to, this, to the verse. Daniel was making a decision that even though he had lost everything that he knew, He was still going to honor God. He was still going to follow God, even though he was a long way from home. And you know what? That was going to take a lot of courage. Courage is a noun. It's the ability, according to Webster, it's the ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. And I think a lot of times when we think of courage, we think that's for superheroes. That's for larger-than-life figures. We think of courage maybe when we think of law enforcement officers who put their life on the line every day when they go out to serve. I think of our military personnel serving around the world, medical personnel, uh, those that overcome disabilities. But here's the reality about courage. Courage is also for ordinary, well-adjusted, coffee-sipping, SUV-driving, middle-class Metroplex suburbanites like you and me courage is for us every day of our lives choices come our way and you have to make the decision am I going to take the easy way out or am I going to be courageous and stand for something every day of your life choices come your way where you have to make the decision. Am I going to surrender my beliefs for the crowd, or am I going to keep going in faith? Every day of your life, you have to make a decision. Am I going to continue following my Lord, or am I just going to follow the flow? Great courage doesn't begin at the moment of crisis. Great courage doesn't begin when the infant is going downstream, and you suddenly jump in to save her. Great courage doesn't begin in the face of great danger. It begins in the sanctuary of day-to-day life when we purpose within our hearts to make the wise choice, even though it may cost us temporary satisfaction. One day, Daniel and his friends, they would stand toe-to-toe with fiery furnaces and ferocious felines. But the awe-inspiring courage on the fear-inspiring days was birthed in a quiet courage within the insidious days. It was early on when he determined in his heart that I'm not going to deny my God. I'm not going to leave my God back in Judah, but I'm going to continue to follow my God, even though things are difficult, even though I'm a long way from home, even though everything around me says, just abandon that and keep on going. Now, I want you to notice four things about Daniel's courage. Number one, I want you to notice that he took a different path than the others. In verse 8, the beginning of verse 8, he goes to the chief there and he asks permission from the chief official not to defile himself. So he basically goes to the person that's in charge of the young men from Judah and says, uh, can I take a different path? Can I do things differently? Now, a funny thing about courage, faith, and adventure, you normally have to leave the crowds before you find them. Anybody ever been to Yosemite National Park? Anybody ever been to Yosemite? Pretty cool place, isn't it, David? Rather awe-inspiring. Well, in the year that you went to Yosemite, you were one of 3.5 million people who went to Yosemite. A lot of people go there every year. Ninety-five percent of the people that visit the park never go beyond Yosemite Valley. That's all they ever see. Yet Yosemite Valley is just one percent of the park. Ninety-nine percent of the park awaits to be seen and yet 95% of the people, they never leave the very place where they drive up. In fact, they say that most people never get more than a half a mile from their car. I love to hike. I I enjoy hiking. I don't get to do it nearly as much as I I would like to. We live in Texas, and if you haven't noticed, Texas is kind of flat you know but uh about once a year i like to live like a man you know sleep in a tent eat out of a bag don't shave you know just get up in the mountains and, and hike and have fun and i've discovered that the adventure the best scenery the best hikes they get you beyond the birkenstock wearing latte slipping uh, sipping here let's tweet my photo opportunity crowd they get you into those paths that other people don't venture out to. But only about 5% of people ever ask for a different path. You know, there's a lot of weeping, a lot of gnashing of teeth these days in the Christian community. Because we look around and we complain that the scriptural paths of faith and hope, morality, the scriptural wisdom that at one point was part of the fabric of even our Governing officials uh, no longer is the path of the American masses. And so a lot of us we complain and we gripe and we become very cynical, but I I want you to look at it a little bit differently today and ask ask yourself, say to yourselves, what an opportunity. What an opportunity God's people have to take a different path. What an opportunity God's people have to be courageous. Faith, adventure, opportunity, courage, they are almost never seen until you're willing to venture beyond the the 95%, until you're willing to go into that 1% where nobody else is really hanging out. Daniel was willing to take a different path. And then secondly, notice that God granted him favor. In verse 9, the Bible says, God had granted Daniel favor and compassion from the chief official. Now, let's remember back a couple months ago when we were looking at Joseph. In both the stories of Joseph and the stories of Daniel, you see something occurring. You see God's favor being extended to those young men. The reason he was extending his favor is because they were going to play a role within his story. God wanted his glory to be seen through their lives. So in verse 9, even though Daniel was away from home, even though circumstances were bad, even though this was not how his life was going to be scripted, the Bible says in slavery in Babylon, God had granted favor and compassion on Daniel. Verse 10 continues. Yet he said to Daniel, "My lord the king assigned your food and drink I'm afraid of what would happen if he saw your faces looking thinner than those of the other young men your age. You would endanger my life with the king. Now, the hero of this story is going to be God. Daniel's courage is going to be an unveiling for the glory of God. So God begins to do something that only God can do. He begins to change the heart of a godless man. Daniel comes to the chief official and says, "'Can I take a different path?' And the chief official initially is overwhelmed with fear. "'No, absolutely not, because it will be my life "'if you come out looking poorly.'" But God's favor was on Daniel, and because of that, verse 11 says, "'So Daniel said to the guard, "'whom the chief official had assigned "'to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, "'Please test your servants for 10 days. "'Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink.'" And then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. And he agreed with them about this and tested them for ten days. Now the third thing that I want you to notice is that Daniel's faith was put to the test. Daniel's courage was put to the test. Had God already granted Daniel favor? Question, everybody awake? Had God already granted Daniel favor? Yes. God had not extended to Daniel favor so that he could fail. But Daniel's faith was going to have to persevere through the test. For 10 days, he was going to have to continue to be committed to what God had called him to do. For 10 days, he was going to have to trust God. One of my favorite passages of scriptures in the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 2. Consider it great joy. Well, I like that. Who doesn't want to consider something great joy? Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials. Well, now that's where it stops. I don't want to consider trials joy. But then the passage goes on to say, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. In every adversity that we deal with in life, there is always opportunity. Daniel's circumstances were not good. Daniel's circumstances were horrible. But in that adversity, there was also an opportunity. Adversity brings with it opportunities that nothing else Can bring. And in Daniel's circumstances, there was an opportunity to discover the new paths that God had for him. Daniel's diet was not exactly the diet that you go on to gain weight. The king wanted to look at these boys and see that they they, they looked healthy and they looked alive and they they were muscular and they were ready to go. And Daniel was going to eat nothing but vegetables and water. Now, I'm all for vegetables, I'm all for staying hydrated. But sometimes if all you eat is vegetables and water, you get a little thin. But Daniel was going to, or God was going to do a work through that diet. God was going to show that he could work through Daniel's faithfulness. Daniel's faith was put through the test. But what an opportunity for Daniel to trust God. I am confident of this, that right now in your life, there are there are adversities there's some challenges in your life in fact go ahead and go ahead and think about some of those what are some of the challenges you're facing in life challenges at school challenges in relationship financial challenges parents never have any children or never have any challenges raising kids do you never have any challenges in marriage do we never have any challenges trying to go through school are there everybody has challenges in the face of adversity We either turn to God or we turn away from God. And every adversity that we face brings an opportunity that nothing else can bring. Fourthly, I want you to notice when our faith perseveres in adversity, it becomes a testimony to the power of God. Daniel persevered and it became a testimony to the power of God in his life. In verse 14, the chief official agrees with them about this, and he tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. They trusted God. And at the end of the ten days, God's glory was seen in the situation. When you find yourself in adversity, You either turn to God, or you turn away from God. You either say, God, I'm going to trust you in this, or you say to God, God, I got this, and I'm going to live my life as if I am God. Whenever we turn to God, that's whenever the glory of God begins to be revealed in our lives, and we see God do things that only God can do. Most of you know about my sister Debbie. My sister Debbie has been battling a superbug pneumonia now for two years. And it's really been a life and death battle in her life for, for a couple of years now. Uh, Eighteen months ago, she was telling me this week, I was talking to her on the phone. Eighteen months ago, she told me that she was at work and she was feeling so badly at work one day. And I don't know why this was her reaction, but she said, I just went into the ladies room and I found myself just sitting on the ground in the stall saying to myself, I'm going to die right here. This is where my life ends. And she said, I I sat there. I don't know how long I sat there. And I I wasn't sure if I'd ever get up again. Eventually, she kind of felt stronger, so she got up and she went home. And that weekend, she came very, very close to dying several times throughout the course of the weekend. She had the bacteria levels in her body at unbelievable rates, and they were blasting it with uh, antibiotics at the same time, and so it was just throwing her body into this, this war state. And so she was very, very close to death. And she told me this week that it was during that weekend that God gave her a peace. She said it was something that God just gave me, a peace that whatever happened, I'm going to be okay she said, I understand now what Paul was saying when he said to live as Christ and to die as game, because I'm not afraid to die. If I die, I'm, I'm okay with that. At the same time, she said, I'm not afraid to live either. I, I have a newfound courage. I have a newfound awareness. And she said this, and this is what stuck with me and why I share it with you today. She said, I know the peace came from God because my circumstances don't change it. When I go through surgery like I did a couple weeks ago, I still have the peace because it came from God. When I have good days, I still have the peace. When I have bad days, I still have the peace. As I go through this, that peace has never left me, and I know that it came from the Lord. So at four foot eleven and three quarters... She is one of the most courageous people I've ever met. She likes to say she's five foot tall, but being the little brother, I remind her, no, you're four foot eleven and three quarters. Like I should be someone talking about height, you know. But she'd be the first to tell you this. Courage is not found from within. Courage is found from above. Courage is a gift that God gives you whenever you submit yourself to Him. And you say, Lord, whatever my circumstances are, wherever I am, I want to be faithful. I want to have the courage to do the right thing. I want to have the courage to be the man that you've called me to be. I want to have the courage to be the woman, the student that you've called me to be. And whenever you persevere through the trial with courage and faith, that's when the power of God is is revealed courage is a gift that comes from our lord when we begin to realize that while we were yet sinners christ demonstrated his love in this way that he died for us so we are justified we are being sanctified we will be glorified not because of our goodness but we are righteous in Christ and we are forgiven. My sins from the past, my sins of today, my sins of tomorrow are forgiven in Christ. Death no longer has a hold upon me because though the wages of sin are death, the gift of the Holy Spirit is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And because I have that gift, because I am forgiven, because I have been justified, because I live my life in Christ, I see life differently i treat others differently i think differently i live differently i am different and i live differently and i can live with a courage and a strength that comes not from within me but a courage and a strength that comes from above and whenever you really begin to understand who you are in Christ, you begin to see the world differently and it changes your relationships, it changes you, it changes you down to the very fabric of who you are. And God begins building within you this courage to be a man or a woman of principle. To be that young person that could leave everything that you know behind and still hold fast to that which is true. Because you're a person of courage. And you're that 5% that's living your life on a different path. And you're that 5% that's finding the opportunity in adversity. And you're seeking the adventure and the joy and the purpose that life truly has. Because you're a man or a woman of courage. Courage. Would you stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment? The band's going to come. They're going to lead us in a song. As always, I'm here at the front. If I can pray with you today, it's always my joy to do so. I encourage you to sing. In a few moments, we will give. I encourage you to make this time, though, about you and God. Heavenly Father, we come into this room today and a lot of us feel a little tired the school year now is a couple months old and so all the pressures of assignments and the day-to-day grind is weighing upon many father a lot of us have significant challenge They tell us we're supposed to save all this money for the future and make sure that we can do this and do that, and yet sometimes it's just a struggle just to make it month to month. Lord, we said I do. It was such a sweet day and such a sweet moment. and Now we find ourselves caught up in the challenges of trying to love each other with a heavenly love that perseveres treat one another like Christ. We welcomed children into the world and our hearts jumped within us. They were the sweetest days of our life. And now we find ourselves with the responsibility of trying to help young men and young women navigate the challenges. And then, Lord, we find ourselves living in a world where it seems like a lot of people just. Live in the moment. Seems like there's not much courage. And perhaps, Father, it's because we're looking for it within ourselves instead of looking for it within you. So I pray that within this community right here, you will begin summoning up some men and women, some families, some students that will live life differently some people that will have courage to follow you, to trust in you, to find the opportunities that await when we move beyond the 95%, when we find ourselves on the road less traveled. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to see you do great things. In Jesus' name.